The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening and welcome to Tuesday Topics. I'm Paul Edwards and we have a two-part program tonight. Uh, The first part of our program will be the second part of last week's program, um, which uh, disappeared into darkness, as as the Washington Post would tell us. Um, And it it did that um, at precisely 8 o'clock, so folks got to hear the first hour of our Tuesday topics twice on our podcast. So thank you very much for uh, your shortened listening span. We have some of the usual suspects with us tonight. Um, Miss um, Marianne is with us. Miss Marianne, good evening. Good evening, Paul. Excellent. And we also, uh, we also have our uh, producer extraordinaire, Mr. Rick Morin. Hey, Rick. Hey, guys. How you doing? Excellent. And barely in time, Mr. Larry Gassman from California. Hey, Larry. I don't know. We've been having rain, big rain over the last two days. I have no idea whether that was the cause, but anything to blame Zoom would be nice. (laughs) I mean, I've been working on this for 30 minutes, couldn't get in, and just barely got in. But you're here. I am. Just in time to do the streaming. Yes. So, during the first hour, we're going to continue what we started uh, or what we had planned to do last week, which has to do with with the whole state of advertising and audio description, advertising and blind people, advertising and people with disabilities, um, and and really advertising and minorities in, in a very real sense, because what's true of people with disabilities is probably true of other minorities as well. Um, and uh, Mr. Brian Charlson is not with us tonight, but he will be back next week. We are therefore going to, I guess, begin to take a peek at the the whole issue of of advertising. And I think it's fair to say that ten or fifteen years ago, it wouldn't have been an issue because a uh, advertisers didn't think that it was very appropriate to involve people with disabilities in ads that were being produced. We can explore why that is, perhaps, if we want to. They were only just beginning to include um, people who were um, Black or Hispanic in ads. For the most part, ads for a very long time, I think, were kind of white Anglo-Saxon Protestant um, and that was the picture that television and advertising had of Americans. Um, and for the most part, <clears throat> it's really only been in, in the last 20 years uh, that that situation has changed. Um, and I guess the first question that we can explore is, is why did it change? Um, Miss Marianne, do you have any thoughts on that? Why did it change? Why did we, why did it suddenly become okay to include all these groups that were excluded before? Maybe people demanded it more, you know, just more awareness and more demand. You know, maybe there was recording progress. Yeah, 
That's interesting. Yeah. I think that could I think that could have um I think that could be a factor. Um political correctness um um operated it'd be interesting we'll have to hope that our stream continues now that yeah, Larry's it, gone. it did i i'm still here am i not oh uh, yeah it I, I won't go into technical detail but it thought i was in another meeting and i think the other meeting kicked in that's why you heard the recording and huh. i just exited the other meeting hoping i wouldn't exit yours you did not, uh, and I you did didn't. Not. That's very. Clever. But it was really weird. I never, I've never seen that happen before. Yeah, anyway, so, I'm sorry. So, so, <laughs> now so I now forgot the question. Tell me, <laughs> now you can tell me, Larry, why it is that suddenly it became okay to have ads that involved minorities 15 or 20 years ago. I don't know the answer to that. I'm not sure, um, but but they did. Um, yes, they did, but I'm not sure what actually precipitated that. Well, I think I, I think that Marianne is right that that it that it was a politically correct thing to do. Oh yeah, but I, but I also think I also think that some advertisers came to the opinion, um, and I actually think they're right that minorities are markets. And that, in fact, folks had money to spend, and they felt like if um, if more folks who looked like them were part of the ads, those folks would be more likely to spend money they had to spend. And I think there were there were a lot of changes in 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 the way that uh, in the way that we shopped and where we shopped that corresponded with these times. And I think that as a result. Um, there was um, there was a pretty substantial change that was made uh, that that encouraged people um, to recognize the fact that that for instance you you weren't going to get nearly as many folks who were the sort of upper middle class white Anglo-Saxon Protestants to buy at the relatively inexpensive stores that started to do uh, a lot of the advertising 15, 20, 25 years ago. Um, yeah, whole new different, whole new different stuff. So, yeah. <clears throat> so I think that was part of it. Um, is, it a, is it a good thing to have those minorities involved in ads? Anybody want to jump in? I guess it depends on whether they're done tastefully or not. And I agree. Whether they're, yeah. You know, whether Agreed. they're done in a way that's flattering. And that's to, subjective, too. Yeah, it is. It is. It certainly is. So, so let's explore perhaps a less controversial component, um, audio description in ads. Uh, I, I don't know how many of you have, have, have watched ads and had no idea what they're for. I know I have. It happens um, to me a lot. Oh, yeah. I often wonder what oh is it? why am I seeing this and what is it? Exactly. I have no clue. <clears throat> and I think I'm so, pretty smart, but I mean sometimes I yeah. just kind of shake my head saying what is this all about? And and it, it, would it how much do we I guess that's the other question and and we're going to open it up after after we've livened it up for just a couple more minutes with Marianne, but um 
how much do we actually care? I mean, I guess that's the that's the next question. And 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 by the way, we have with us uh, a guest from the uh, our, our second hour, which is going to involve us talking about uh, the exciting mentoring um, activity that's going on this year in ACB. And and so Donna Browning is with us early. So Donna, if you feel like chiming in, feel free to do that. Okay. Very good. So I, I think the why we care it, question is subjective do, as well. Yeah. Because sometimes but, uh, I well, do care. And yeah. sometimes I'm going, why are you throwing this at me? I could care less. Leave it alone. Get out. Go away. Yeah. I, I think it would, uh, that it's arguable that one of, the, one of the reasons why so many of the streaming services were successful to begin with is because they had no ads. I think that's true. It's like yeah. XM Radio when it didn't have any ads. At least it didn't yep. initially. And some of the other things, it was great to listen to something, whatever it was, without having to hear commercials all the time. <clears throat> and yet the interesting thing is that it, it is apparently now becoming apparent that, that the streaming services are not able to support themselves without using ads. So all of them are appearing are appearing to be going towards a system where they're going to have a cheaper rate uh, with built-in ads. So they're coming back to our television experience. And in a way, it was a positive for blind people because there were some venues where we never saw the ads. Sighted people did, but we didn't. And so I didn't really think anything of it. And I'm sure a lot of other blind people didn't either because the ads were there. It's just that the screen reader never picked them up. Right. And here's here's another question. How many of us actually <clears throat> wait to watch something um, when it is being presented for the second time because the second time it's being presented, it doesn't have ads? Oh, I oh, always do it if I oh, can. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, if I can, I always do it. And so Martin. go ahead, Donna. One of my my opinion on uh, the ads, one of the greatest things that's happening in ads right now, because mm-hmm. I hate ads. Uh, <laughs> I think it's great, even though it's not telling us what it's about. It just makes it worse for us. Mm-hmm. The stuff where they're not even talking in ads now, mm-hmm. yeah. just music. But and- at the same time, I'm like, okay, I'm okay with that. If I really want to know what's about, I'll ask somebody. But generally, I don't want to know anyway. Because if I want to know about something, I'll find it another way. But I'm I'm liking the silent stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but but by the same token, there's there, there there's a product that really sounds kind of neat, and it says, "Call the number on your screen." Hey, those are the ones I hate the most. <laughs> mm-hmm. I really do. I resent those so much. They make me they they kind of make me angry. Mm-hmm. Don't like those. So we have not we have not really come to any fundamental conclusions about the the new paradigm with ads. So audio description and ads is it a good thing if we if we have to have ads should we have audio description? We should only have audio description if they improve on ads, make them more civilized. <laughs> I think I they're like going to do that. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Uh, no. They think they are civilized. You know, they're yeah, coming they at do. it from the other yeah. construct. 
That's because they don't have to sit and watch them all day. Nope, but they don't care about that. <laughs> They're not worried about sitting and watching. They're there to create them for an effect. Well, and, and, but they're also they're they're also there, and they do an awful lot of testing yep. to try to establish whether those ads are effective and whether they in fact get to the get get to the group of folks that they want to get to. And one of the things that that is is frightening is because so many of the ads are so atrocious, um, it 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 doesn't say a lot about the quality of the people who are watching television. Exactly. <laughs> well, and the bad thing is a lot of the ads are targeting children. Right. Mm. Uh, and that's that's another good point, yeah. um, actually, Donna. Um, they, they're, they're really targeting children to target parents. Right. Yep. <laughs> You get the you get through you get so, the parents by going to the children. That's you know. Yeah, we all did it. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And and children tell parents what to buy, exactly what cereal they want to eat, and it doesn't matter whether it tastes good as long as it looks cute. What toy they want? Yeah. What junk food exactly. they want? <clears throat> and let's not let's not forget about the about the meals at McDonald's. I was getting ready to say, you know, there's an adult Happy Meal now. Yeah, see, there you go. That was in a commercial. Yeah, see, and and you watched it. No, I did not. <laughs> Somebody told me about it. Now, has anybody had an adult Happy Meal? I have. Oh, no, that would be so. I've fun. seen it advertised, but I've never had one. I have not had one either. I don't know if they have them at all markets or not. Because supposedly, come on, you got to admit you want one. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I don't have to. Yep. So, Marianne, do we have any hands raised? You do. We at least one. Nellie. Hello. Nellie Emerson. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, am I unmuted? Yeah, you, you are. are. Here, yeah. All right. Hi, everybody. Um, Hello. A really interesting topic for me. Um, I um, um, do um, listen to um some commercials and and some of them are, are are humorous and some of them are entertaining and some of them are disgusting and uh so uh what i tend to do is record programming so that i can uh fast forward um through the most obnoxious commercials and not have to deal with them and yeah. uh, so that's that's one way uh, for me, um, I was also thinking about um, when people with disabilities started to appear in um, advertising. And I remember um, several years ago, um, uh, one of the earlier ones I saw was uh, Rick Boggs with his um, um, uh, cell phone commercial. And uh, so he was there with his dog advertising um, cell phones. And I think that was like in the late 90s. <laughs> and it was a widely, um, you know, widely seen um, advertisement. I think it was AirTouch. Yep. And um, then um, later than that, um, Stephen Hawking did a Tesla commercial. Yes. And he, um, you know, and, and the car basically, you know, parked itself and 
and and he, he got out in his wheelchair and went into his house, which I thought was pretty cool. You know, of course, I don't know um, how many of us, um, you know, make the big bucks to buy a Tesla, but but it was a, a I thought it was an interesting commercial, and I really um, admired um, Stephen Hawking very much. And, oh, and I think and I think they also they also had him speaking some. Yes. Using synthetic speech. Yes, they did. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I, I really liked I liked that commercial. And then um, a couple of years ago, there was a Subaru commercial that had a gentleman. I don't remember his name, but he was blind. And they had him at a um, uh, visitor center of some, um, you know, like... Um, nature uh national park or something national park kind of place and and people came in and and uh he was telling them all about how to navigate the the hiking trails and uh or or where to go and uh and it was a subaru car commercial so i love that as well so Mm -hmm. um and i'm sure there's been others but those are the ones that that kind of stand out Mm -hmm. in my mind Thank you. What about what about audio description? Have you heard any mm. with audio description? No, I, I'd like to hear more with audio description that you know that will tell you um, basically, you know, what's in the picture and what's going on and what the phone number is. Well, yeah. that too. <laughs> we, yes, yes. we have audio description on. Um, on movies and theaters, but we don't have any audio description on the previews. No, um, which is which is pretty annoying. Um, yes, I I go to the movies um, frequently, and um, I have to wait until the movie actually comes on to find out if the audio description device is actually functioning. You're correct. Mm-hmm. That's right. I always That's use right. the audio um, audio description device. Mm-hmm. You can get a yep. lot of the movies that way. Yes. It's a good thing. Thank you very much for your call. Sure. Please. No other hands yet. No other hands yet. Ah, come on, you guys. <clears throat> if if you're here, um, please yes, get in get get involved and talk a little bit um about about this issue. I want to get back to this whole idea of of audio description as a as as a function of ads um it it really it 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 really bothers me to think that we keep drawing these lines and everything is kind of one step at a time so nora has on, her hand raised yep on on in television um you know, people are required to provide audio description for a certain number of programs every week. But there is no requirement for providing any audio description in advertising. Um, we Do we really have to, to, to go out and pass another law to suddenly make audio description happen? And to what degree are people going to... Um, be interested in providing audio description because the rule of audio description 
just to remind everyone, is you put the audio description in the space between dialogue. If a commercial is only 30 seconds long, how much space is there likely to be for audio description? Uh, so, uh, you know, I guess for me, it becomes an entirely different issue. Are we going to actually ask advertisers to fundamentally change the way they make ads in order to be able to include audio description? Is that fair? Any thoughts? Have you thought of a way that it could be done? Because I don't. I'm not well, kind of the way it's being done now. the beginning or the end of the ad? Because there are sometimes when you don't even know what the dang thing is. So what if I, at least at the beginning or the end of the ad, it, it, it told you what the product was that they just, you know, the, at least to that extent. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I could deal with that. Yeah. But um, what about time allocations? Because <laughs> somebody's paying for that stuff. But it certainly would be helpful when you hear just music in a 30-second stretch and you come away not knowing at all about right. what was being written right. or said or done. Right. right. But somebody's got to pay for that because, you know, commercials are expensive. So where do you put it? You know, there there wasn't, as far as I know, a single audio described commercial on the Super Bowl. Um, and each of those each of those spots cost millions of dollars. Um, but but I don't I, and I don't think they would have been prepared to give up one tiny part of those ads no. in order to put audio description in. Nope. Right. So it's 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 an interesting question. Where where do our rights begin and the rights of advertisers end? Where does the enjoyment of the general public begin and our right to audio description end? Because the probability is <clears throat> that that a lot of people who would be forced to watch these ads with audio description wouldn't want it to be there. They're they're gonna they're gonna essentially say, you know, you're ruining the ad. The whole creative thrust of this ad is to just have this music and 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 watch the vid the visual stuff that's happening while this music is playing. When you suddenly introduce a voice trying to explain it you're ruining the ad the whole ethos is gone all right so we have somebody with had a hand I, up I yep. uh, nora Nora's, nora she can unmute hey nora hello um there's one commercial i remember watching only one time and it's, uh, I'm not sure it's about coffee, but I think it's about coffee, one of the coffee commercials, and it gets shows that something, I gave, I gave you a little bit of a audio description, I think a couple of years ago. Currently muted. Okay, like that. So, that's not starting, it's a good start though. <laughs> Enter full screen left parallel mute currently. There we go. Interesting. Thank you for that. <clears throat> do you think? Um, do you think that that we should have audio description on ads, Miss Nora? Yeah, I do. Uh, oh yeah, for those who want to have those ad, I mean ads on on TV. Yeah, I I would. Interesting. Thank you so much for your call. 
You're welcome. Thank you. So, audio description. I, we, we are not coming close to getting consensus here in terms of where we're going forward. Uh, ah, David. Yeah. Can we uh, invite Mr. David to I speak? I will do that. There you go, David. Hey, David. Hey, how's, hey, how's it going? It's all good. Um, I think that um, rather than say audio description, because of the um, complications of a 30-second ad, I think it's more important to get the producers to include the information, like the telephone number on your screen. See? Rather than do that, rather than audio describe everything, get that pertinent information out there. They want us to know about it. Now, uh, we, we haven't talked about this, but we probably should. Um, and, and so David, I'll, I'll, I'll let you be the first to, to respond to this. <clears throat> Audio description when it's being made available, um, on television um, particularly on broadcast television, which is where a lot of the ads that we see are likely to be seen, um, is produced by um, getting into a, onto a special channel. And we would normally do that if we were watching audio, a program that was in audio description. Um, but, but I don't know... I think the only way that that ads could have audio description is if they built that audio description into their main ad, because I don't think that anybody is going to expect somebody to skip to an audio described channel in order to get ads. What do you think, David? I agree, because you'd have to quickly turn that on if you didn't have it on. For some yep. reason. And that's why I say we need to get the producers to design the ads so that they... Yep. Say that number yeah. on your screen is yeah. So we're we're actually we're actually asking for a lot more than than we were asking for with other audio description stuff, which is interesting. Can I mention um, another interesting thing? You you can, David. Okay. In our city, I don't know how far it's gone out of our city, but they require closed captioning to be on on any television that is used in a public place. I'm fine with that, but where's the audio description? But you know, it's, it's just interesting how that works. So um, I don't know if you heard of that being done before. I don't know if I don't know if I knew there was a law that required audio description in any public place. <clears throat> I may be saying something about myself when I tell you that that I know that audio description. Oh, sorry, that that captioning tends to be on in most bars. <laughs> yeah, so it'd be a lot different if they had to have it on for audio description, but maybe that's too well, much. Uh, How do we get it? But the the closed captioning is is on in bars because the sound is not Correct. for the most part. Correct. Um and and so the only way that that they, that they can convey um, written information or information that would normally be in the dialogue <clears throat> is for the audio description that they use in the bar. So I get that. Yeah, um, um, I think 
I think the whole question of closed captioning as compared to audio description uh, is interesting because virtually, and I suppose it isn't fair to say virtually everything, but an awful lot is closed captioned as a matter of course. And probably probably 10 or 15 times as much materials made available captioned as it is audio described. Paul, how would you feel about, because we've been talking about the phone number from time to time as we go along, how would you feel mm-hmm. about having the phone number closed captioned over the top of audio description in an ad? I don't think I'd care. I, I, I wouldn't either, but it's one way to get it out there for people who want it. Well, uh, I, I guess, but but I guess the the difference is that whereas if you're talking about shows or if you're talking about movies or, right. or, or other programs that are on television, what we're asking folks to do is to create an audio description track. Mm-hmm. And that audio description track doesn't have to be used by people who don't want it. So the folks who are making the movie essentially are saying, um, you know, we'll do audio description because we, the folks who are watching our movie or our piece of art or our documentary aren't required to have the audio description on if they don't want it. Right. They have a choice. But it, but, but, it, but I don't think that choice is going to be available with ads. I mean, an advertiser is going to have to make a decision. Do I want to pander to blind people um, by, by putting audio description on ads when I know that those are going to be a must-have for everybody, not just for blind people? Yeah. And another thing I don't know, and maybe 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 Donna Browning, who has some vision, or I don't, I don't know how much vision David has, but maybe you guys can tell us whether or not there there's closed captioning on ads, because I don't know if there is or not. Uh, I don't have closed captioning on my turned on on my TV. Uh, I know that um, when I watch it, other things, it. It is like on YouTube. It is on yep. everything, and uh-huh. um, but I don't know. I've never tried that. So that's it's it's a it's an interesting question. I think we're finding out there's a lot we don't know about about what the state of the art is. David, do you know whether there's closed captioning on ads? Um, not so much, but it's my under. I got enough vision to get in trouble, but it's been my yep. understanding that uh, the important information is already printed on the screen and ah. they don't need to say call the number in the screen that's true and so they may not do that and my whole thing is if you think back of caller ids when they first uh, talking caller ids when they came out um they were made for blind people and you know they're expensive 100 200 bucks depending on the model you got and then when Classco and others came out with commercial talking caller id that was a game changer because everybody had it and they could hear, listen without getting up out of their easy chair and decide if they're going to take that call or not. And in back when phones were attached to the wall. Um, so I think that's the case with advertisements and commercials that, uh, well, I guess the same thing 
but uh, PSAs, I guess, is what I was thinking. Those are for everybody, and they're trying to get the attention of everybody. You have so little time, and they're trying to squeeze as much in as they can. But I think the design of the advertisement needs to stop with the. I, I'm repeating myself. Call your number. Call the number on the screen. Go to this website on your screen. But they just need to read it out and put that in as part of their their script. So here's an interesting question that that you actually just made me think of. We know that it is required for um, state and local governments to provide audio description for emergency announcements. And, and we know that that is an absolute part of the law. Um, is there a difference um, between an emergency announcement and a public service announcement that's being done by the state or local government? Should there be a responsibility with those state and local announcements to be more accessible than uh, a commercial that's just being done by a company? I would like to think so. Same here. Yeah, but I don't uh, think there is. There isn't, and I would hope that there would be, but but there yeah, isn't. But I don't think there is. No. Um, that's and, and it's an it's it's an interesting element because it's it's not something that we've actually uh, that we've actually looked at a lot in terms of you know we're we're happy when ads come on to audio or come on with audio description. But, but I don't think we're putting a lot of effort into um, doing more because there's still so much to do in order to get anywhere close to equity with audio description in other areas. And there are so many priorities that are probably more important than the commercial stuff. So let us spend a little bit of time talking about. Um, talking about the the other side of the coin if you like <clears throat> and that is what is the impact of having disabled people and blind people in ads what does what does that do for us don't all speak at once i'm not sure it does much for us i mean seemingly it does a lot for the advertisers, otherwise they wouldn't have done it. But mm -hmm. but I don't jump up and down and do jumping jacks when I find out a blind person is on my television or on my radio. I'm more interested in the content. But does does it do anything in terms of the attitude of the general public towards us? And again, how it's done. Yeah. Yeah. Miss yeah. with taste, maybe. Yeah. I mean, that's like I. I like it if I see somebody like me in a commercial, but I also am critically looking at it, how accurate the portrayal right. is. Right. And it's usually not. Yeah, that's the most important thing. And I yeah. think like a good, a good example of good would be the um, person giving directions at the um, visitor center. That would be a good portrayal of a person mm -hmm. who is blind or vision, visually impaired. I think most of the portrayals that we end up getting on on commercials are actually are actually pretty decent. Um, 
and, and I and 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 I think that one of the things that they do is is they certainly seem to go against the stereotypes that are out there in terms of what blind people are. So we aren't helpless. We're actually doing a job. We're actually we're actually out there getting out of a car and walking away using a white cane, or um, we are uh, we're part of a family, and and that's helpful. So I, you know, I think a lot of the uh, a lot of the portrayals of disabled people um, in in commercials are are I think pretty appropriate, and and I think one of the impacts that they have is to help to perhaps lessen the the stereotype notions that the general public have about the capabilities of blind people because if you if you see blind people doing ordinary things often enough you're going to have to begin to suspect that that not every blind person is a super blink and not every blind person is absolutely helpless so it's interesting and is the blind person the positive that makes that happen or is it the advertiser or the person who writes the copy? I, I think it's both. Because the blind um, person could turn it down and say, I don't want to be portrayed as XXXX. Right? <clears throat> well, and, and, and worse than that, um, we could do what was done up until probably 10 years ago. We can hire a sighted person to, <laughs> to pretend to be blind. Person. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. So I think I think Miss Elizabeth had her hand up. She does. Yeah, yeah. So I have an interesting thing. I met somebody 15 years ago, and I was at a social function, and she came running up to me, and she said, "Oh, I know all about blind people because the lighthouse hired me to, and they gave me a cane, and I was pretending to be a blind person so I could train voc rehab people." And I said. Why on earth didn't they have blind people at the lighthouse training the voc rehab people? And she said the lighthouse was afraid they were going to get hurt. <laughs> and so here's this woman who has no um, no knowledge and no body movement that has anything to do with being blind using a cane and uh, and peeking out from under her. And she talked about peeking out from under her uh, her blindfold, blindfold. and yeah. stuff. I mean, she was very straight about it. And she absolutely, I mean, I, I know her. And believe me, if this woman knows anything about blind people, um, <laughs> I, I'm i from another planet, which may be true, but that's another story. Okay, so the other part of this story is that I help as a volunteer at this place where um, they've got a very steep set of stairs going down to the kitchen area where I was mm -hmm. helping prep. And I came down those stairs at a, it wasn't at a run, but I was at a reasonable clip. Some of you know me, I move a little quickly. Yep. And I came down the stairs and this woman at the bottom of the stairs said, I'm going to do my, my physical therapy really hard because if you can do that, I can get better. And I said, well, good, go for it. You know, I mean, who am I to never say don't do physical right. therapy? <laughs> but I always make a point when I'm out and about 
of using stairs rather than the elevator or the ramp because I have been asked so many times in job interviews about whether a blind person can use the stairs by themselves, use a toilet by themselves, Mm -hmm. drink from a glass unaided. I think we should not only be in commercials, but I think that blindness organizations in their jobs recruiting things should make videos of this is a blind person using a bathroom, washing their hands, literally using soap, using a soap dispenser, using a hand dryer. I know it sounds stupid and banal and everything, but there are job recruiters who are absolutely panicked that you're going to go in the bathroom and kill yourself. I'm not sure what they think we've been doing all these years, but people (laughs) apparently follow us around and hand us toilet paper like the Royal you know, um, uh, uh, what's it's, you know, uh, gentleman of the stool or something. I mean, it's just insane. I think we should have pictures of blind people opening um, glass doors and going into buildings, um, walking upstairs, um, doing everyday basic simple stuff because apparently not only are job recruiters panicky about this, but they think that they're blind, their sighted employees will be hysterical. This is a blind person sitting down at a desk, getting up from a desk, walking down a hall. Literally, we should do these little videos. And we, I mean ACB, we should post videos on YouTube of basic tasks. And I don't mean people cooking for themselves. I mean... People walking in and out of office buildings, going through turnstiles, um, whatever it yep. is you have to do, because this is the kind of thing that, and I I can't believe people don't know this. It's one thing to ask me this stuff in the 70s and the 80s, but it breaks my heart when I hear job applicants say, well, they told me they didn't want me running up the stairs because they were afraid that I was going to hurt myself. I'm like... I I one time um, went for a job interview and they said, well, we can't give you the job because it's on the second floor. And I said, I live in a fourth floor walk up. And if you get me this job, I will get to move down to the lower floor. So please hire me. And um, they did, but not because of that. Um, But I went outside during the interview and, and ran up their stairs while they watched. So, I, I'm afraid we still have to do this very basic work, and YouTube is now a great avenue for us to do this stuff, and we might want to utilize it. I think that's, I think that's a good point, and, and, and clearly what you're suggesting is that aside from general advertisers, <clears throat> there's a need for blind people um, to develop ads, which, which they're actually showing themselves. Um, now, there are a lot of us in state affiliates, and, and I suspect Marianne might have in Pennsylvania, I know we did in Florida, who have put together a lot of PSAs for radio, and, and we even did some videos um, for as public service announcements for FCB. But um, the, and, and, the, and we tried to show a lot of the things you're talking about, Elizabeth, which is the point I'm making. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, a, a lot of the blind people doing ordinary stuff. Right, And the difficulty was that unless we were prepared to pay thousands and thousands of dollars a week, 
we couldn't get anybody to and play And they the do stuff. the PSAs at three in the morning and your job recruiters are understandably asleep. Correct. But if you could somehow link it up to Indeed or LinkedIn or these places that want to do diversity and get them to tangibly right. do diversity. You know me, I'm all about like how to make this actually tangibly work one person at a time. Um, this is a blind person eating soup with a spoon. I literally mean it. I know it sounds embarrassing, but you can you can go out to lunch with this person and they will not like knock over their soup. Um, so what do other yeah. people think about what Elizabeth is saying? Do we do we need to do some of this stuff? David, Marianne? I think we do. Uh, to, uh, Donna, yeah, go ahead. I think we do, um, but at least to the extent that we're, um, I, I think what she did about running up the stairs was a, a good idea. I think, um, I don't think it would hurt to put some videos up. On yeah, I, I, I think all of us who've been successful at getting jobs have, have been successful because, because we don't simply sit there passively being uh, allowing the stereotype of blindness to be what what, what any of them see. Right. You know? I'm afraid that they'll never get to the point where I get to run up the stairs because I'll never get the first interview unless you get to the Indeed people and the LinkedIn people and not just the websites that are promoting diversity, but, but the more generalized um, uh, employment websites. You know, the... I think we should distribute these to the state employment departments or I don't know where, but it's PSAs are not going to do it, it, not on their own. But they well, have I, to watch the videos. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I get you, Elizabeth. I guess I, I guess I, I don't think I don't think we can afford to pay for ads. I don't Maybe. think we need to. I think we can do a YouTube thing. We can do it for free, and yeah. then we can link that YouTube ad, <clears throat> that YouTube presentation that we've done for free to LinkedIn and to Indeed and get get through it in an under well, in that way. But you but but you can't, or or at least you can't you can't for free. Um uh, one of the one of the jobs that, that I do in my copious spare time is uh, I chair the division of blind services foundation. And one of the projects that we got involved in was to try to figure out a way <coughs> of a better uh, advertising um, what blind people could do. We did a, a whole project called seeing differently is what it was. Yeah. Called. Okay. Okay. Um, and one of the things that we decided that we were going to do um, is precisely what you're talking about. We we produced a bunch of YouTube videos, right. and um, and then we began to advertise <laughs> on um, uh, essentially on on cable companies where we could carry <clears throat> some of the stuff on yeah that um, costs money on, yeah. on LinkedIn and yeah. on other places and uh, 
probably about two-thirds of the budget that we'd allocated to that whole project went to pay for ads. Oh, I'm sure it is. But I'll tell you what, I think we can find, if we make the videos of this is a blind person walking upstairs, this is a blind person eating a sandwich without dropping it on his or her lap. Um, this is a blind person standing up and sitting down at a chair at a table in a group meeting um, and not sticking his or her hand down somebody's shirt or whatever their fear is. If we make the videos and make the YouTube things, then we can talk to some of our more savvy people, which, Paul, it is not you and it is not me. But some people know about how to get some of this work done in in ways that would actually get it into public awareness without it being cost prohibitive. So ABC leadership, if you're listening, what can you do with this? You know, we, we, we started out talking about um, talking about the impact of ads, but clearly blind people need to be advertised as, as, as far as, as far as the folks who are on this call are concerned. And we need to do a better job of somehow um, creating a notion of who blind people are that that we can in effect sell, and I, and I think I think that's an extremely good point, Miss Elizabeth. Um, any other thoughts on the subject of ads and blind folks? No hands. Very good. So, I guess the, the, the last topic that we can spend a little bit of time on before we change over at the top of the hour, and I'm pleased to see that <clears throat> three of our four guests are here uh, for our second hour. Um, before, before we get to that, uh, I, I guess I would like to talk about uh, the, the whole notion of YouTube. Um, because I don't think there are a lot of blind people who know very much about YouTube. Um, ACB has a YouTube channel. Um, it was interesting to see that all eight of the videos that were made or the, the sessions that were done um, using video are now available on YouTube um, so that people can watch those if they're minded to do that. But um, I'm not sure that many of our members know a lot about YouTube. And and my question, I, I guess, to maybe some of you who, who may know more than I do, is, uh, is that something that blind people should know about? Yes. Uh, Why? Not many of them, well, not many of them know a lot about Facebook either. And, and that right. one is discretionable, you know, depends on how you feel about Facebook, I guess. But, but, but. There is, if, if nothing else, from, a, from an archival standpoint, I use it a lot with regard to the radio shows and things I do because I wonder, mm. gee, is so-and-so around or when did this happen? And, and aside from asking the A-lady who sometimes gives me the information I want and more times than not, she doesn't, I can actually put something into the search field in YouTube and find it and watch it and listen to it. I did it. We were doing a show on Vin Scully uh, after he passed and I had a lot of stuff but I had no mm -hmm. idea because you don't think about those things that there was so much stuff on YouTube and and I use it for lots of things besides old-time radio stuff that I'm doing for a show I'll, I'll use it mm -hmm. just for knowledge and it's an untapped 
piece of knowledge that not many of us actually learn or know about that I think is passing us by if we don't. It, it, there's some marvelous things on YouTube. Oh, there's everything on YouTube. Yeah. Yep. But we had a vending. We had one of our guys who worked for our vending company, the best that we had. Um, he he learned to fix vending machines on YouTube. I mean, there's <laughs> anything. There's just you know old shows, and I mean, I it's it's as Larry said, it's an untapped and uh, in an infinite resource. There are movies. There is music. Yeah. Um, uh, it 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 is amazing. And they're actually, interestingly enough, is a is a whole resource that I've never been able to quite understand the difference. But there is YouTube, which has lots of music clips on it. But there's also a whole entity called YouTube Music. Do you know about that, Larry? I know that it exists. Yep. Uh, and I, I know of, of companies and groups who use it. Uh, I, I'm not much involved with it yet, but I probably should be. Mm -hmm. I don't know as much. So YouTube is one instance. Facebook is another. Um, you know, it's it's probably arguable that things like LinkedIn um, connects us with an awful lot of uh, entities that are hiring. Should we be putting more information about blindness up on LinkedIn? I think that's yeah, another. I did question when I was yep. when I was working. I was on mm -hmm. LinkedIn. I mean, not as much as some people probably, but I did go up and I did pay attention and I did mm -hmm. get the emails and and connected with some people. So sure, I think any when yep. you're working as a blind person or even as an sighted person doesn't matter. Is you if you have options open to you, you you better use them. Yep, I think there's a point. Miss Marianne, can we let Elizabeth speak? She, she can be our allowed, last word. She's allowed to speak. I don't know who's even in here. So as the host, could you share with me how many people are on this call? There oh, are 21 altogether. 21. Yeah. Including are, the panelists. Okay. And are the panelists... Okay. So uh, Paul said something about not too many blind people are aware of YouTube. I didn't really realized that the deficit was that bad my personal knowledge of youtube is you can go on youtube if you wanted to learn how to um anything anything if you yeah. for instance wanted to learn how to put like i went on youtube to figure out how to set up my wi-fi extender and it gave me instru instructions it isn't just pictures my friend went on youtube to figure out how to fix his roof yeah. Um, you can go on YouTube, you can put YouTube and you can put anything. You could go on YouTube and put on YouTube and then a professor you like, and you may find lectures from him if he was like a famous person. You could go on and find all kinds of things. Like you could put YouTube and then some politician and find every speech they ever wrote, God help you. Um, you know, wherever, you know, they ever did, but you could also go on and find an author. Like you could go on and put YouTube and then, um, um, Patterson or whatever. And I'm sure you could find every book, um, interview because somebody, somebody records that stuff and they put it up and some of them are great recordings and some of them are lousy recordings, but there's tons of stuff. You can go on YouTube and put, like, if you went into, um, you go to youtube.com and you put in Braille. You'll find lots of YouTube uh, things on how to learn Braille. Yep. Um, you, the 
the cooking show, Herbie's Cooking Corner, is on YouTube. Yep. So not only does YouTube have pictures of stuff, but it has very thorough descriptions of stuff. And the reason I'm suggesting that we start with YouTube is because it's an inexpensive thing we can produce. And then we can figure out how to put the links to things inexpensively on other places mm -hmm. so that people see that uh, you know this is a person walking into a meeting and they sit down and their dog sits down under their chair mm -hmm. um this is a person walking down the hall with a cane and they're not like ramming it up somebody's backside mm -hmm. um this is a person or or they're not waving it around in the air and knocking out the lights i don't know what they think we do um, but I, I mean it. I think we should do this is a, a woman coming in and using the ladies room and 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 finding the dispenser, you know, the paper dispensers or whatever, because bathrooms seem to be a real upset for people somehow. So do, do we care if uh, this is a, a dumb question? I'll invite Marion to comment on this, too. But do we care? If, if that woman who is finding the dispenser and who's looking for the toilet or, and that kind of thing um, has to wander around a little bit before she finds all those things? Well, we, we might, but we might not. We may have to explain to people that this is her first time. And if she was in a bathroom at her workplace, she would know where the um, paper towel dispenser was. I get that. Get that. So yep. I'm just saying that if a person is not going to hire me because they're afraid I'm going to go in the bathroom and get lost and be unable to find my way out for half an hour, then we need to do something to get rid of that stereotype because nobody's going to hire me because they're afraid I'll disappear into the <laughs> whatever. Yeah. It's not right. Um, yeah. There's got to be a way to get, and I don't mean skill sets. I don't mean showing that blind people can use a computer. I mean really basic um, things. Okay. This is a blind person who can dress appropriately. They need to know that we can show up to work without having somebody hand feed us. This is a blind person getting on and off of a city bus, not not paratransit but this is a person I, paratransit's important i'm not knocking paratransit but i want them to know that this is a blind person who can get in and out of a taxi in case you have to take a taxi to get to somewhere that paratransit doesn't go um and and yep. get down those barriers so they can't bring up those standard cliches of i'm afraid to interview this person Oops. well very good Miss Elizabeth, thank you very much. We're going to thank have to go Paul. on to the other half of our show. But I hope that some of the leaders of ACB are watching this, and at least we've given them some things to think about in terms of the portrayal of blind people in ads and perhaps our portrayal of ourselves in some ads. i um, like to thank everybody who's participated in the first half of our show. Uh, in the second half of our show, we're going to be talking about one of the more exciting developments that has occurred uh, at the American Council of the Blind, I think, in the last little while. And we're going to start out uh, with the, the, one of the people who was responsible for making this happen, Kenneth Simeon Sr., 
who is probably going to give us a roadmap of how he would like us to spend the next hour. He is in charge or, or uh, a, at least a, in a group where there are really four folks who are part of uh, a mentoring team that, that uh, Kenneth will explain to us a little bit more. And they are all four here. And that's Kenneth Simeon Sr., Cheryl Cummings, uh, Donna Browning, and Donna Brown. Something so I'd like to, to Donna Browning. Well, Donna Browning is not here at the moment, but we hope right. she'll be back. Yes. So in the meantime, um, I would like to introduce uh, Mr. Kenneth Simeon Sr. to see how he would like us to proceed. Hey, sir. Good, e- good evening, Paul, and everyone else. Can you hear me, Paul? We can. Okay, very good. Okay, well, uh, I'm we're glad to be here, and uh, I'm glad to hear that everyone uh, from my team is here. Well, you know, I think, uh, Paul, I like the way you wrote your announcement. I wasn't sure if you were going to follow that those particular items, but mm-hmm. uh, we can talk about how we got started and everything. Uh, initially, you know, there were some things talked about uh, among leaders and our members and diff- different affiliates about the need for a mentoring program within ACB. And it, uh, I've heard that it was talked about for, for years. And uh, it was. I think it's a great time for now for it to happen. We, we see the need in various ways. We've heard from some of our chapters, even where a number of the members uh, may not be as involved as, that, uh, as much as we would want them to be. And they may not be involved because they need some assistance to. Uh, to get it really get connected and so um yeah so we wanted to talk about some of these things together and i mentioned it on my thoughts to have a mentoring program a basic one put together for the Derek k mcdaniel fund committee in which i chair and i wanted something to continue going on for those people once they have received an award annually uh to have something to continue going through and making sure we stayed in contact so We've done that in several ways, but I mentioned this on an administrative steering committee meeting, and that's when I was told, hey, Dan said, Kenneth, why don't you reach out to Cheryl Cummings because the MCAC, Multicultural Affairs Committee, is working on something very similar. And then I was reminded about the uh, Borough College Leadership Training Institute, reached out to them, and uh, now we have a team of us that started a latter part of January, and started meeting pretty much on a weekly basis to have discussions. And being that I had a basis for a program, we actually had, we discussed it and they, and they decided to adopt that and we would just enhance it along the way. So that's how we came up with membership access and peer support. Initially, uh, we were calling it MAPS because of the acronyms for those words. Uh, and recently, we had to consider changing the name because we had some people concerned about another group uh, called MAP, M-A-P, and it was like a pedophile group, you know, and we, mm-hmm. so what we did, knowing that we have the word program, we wanted to keep mentoring access and peer support in place, so the end of that is program, so we just added the P on, and I have an idea for another name, and we may do that during our second year mm-hmm. after the poly program, but that'll be something that'll be coming up later on. So, but we we uh, we we thought it fell in place with uh, the 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 program components to fit in with um, 
maps, you know, the words and all. So uh, from there, we built uh, these components and defined them. And one that we looked at, uh, guide, the word guide, and then our mentors became guides. Uh, that was not initially the plan. This word was uh, just to define what a mentor would do. And that guide, G-U-I-D-E, um, stands for guidance, understanding, intervention, direction, and empowerment. And so we'll start with guidance and we want to end this, this uh, nine month program with uh, ensuring that our uh, mentees uh, who are now called explorers are empowered to move forward in their leadership journey. So um, I want to try to give um, the ladies a chance to chime in uh, would talk, to talk a little bit about how another directive that was given to ACB to start this program. And I would like to ask Cheryl Cummings to be able to speak to that. Uh, it was a resolution. Miss Cheryl, hello. Oh, hi. Um, yes, so there was a resolution passed in 2020. Um, and it was sponsored by the Multicultural Affairs Committee. Um, basically really concerned about the fact that um, people of color, Black, African-Americans um, were not um, necessarily in, in leadership in, in many ways. Um, so um, this resolution uh, acknowledged that and then um, um, stated a solution, which was to create a mentorship program, which would provide um, minorities or people of color um, with sort of experiences and skills, which will enable them to take on uh, leadership roles. And so, as Kenneth said, that sort of combined with the directives or you know his goals for the DKM and also the work of the Burl Coley Institute um, and the membership committee. It it seemed like it was a sort of a I like the word confluence a confluence of um, like really great forces and opportunities that um, you know. And then as Kenneth said, once once we started talking to each other we just decided that we were going to make this happen. And so we started meeting every week and um, did just that. We, we created the program. So let's put the third component together. Um, Ms. Donna Brown, you, you represent the Borough Colleague Group. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what that group does and, and why you guys were interested in mentoring? Sure. So the Burl Collie Leadership Institute is uh, tagged with the task of providing leadership training events uh, for ACB members, um, <clears throat> whether it be at the chapter level, whether it be at the state level, national level, uh, it doesn't really matter. Um, so we actually do uh, conduct leadership trainings uh, on and they appear on the ACB community events list, and they are held the second Thursday of every month at nine o'clock p.m. Eastern time. And um, each month is a different topic, but throughout, at every meeting, the committee meeting we have, we 
somewhere in that hour that we meet, we have brainstorming uh, time for new um, training topics. And I think probably just about every month for quite a long time, mentor, mentorship, you know, mentoring, it came up. Um, and so it certainly was a good fit for us to be a part of the planning of this mentoring program. So and, just so just so we don't lose you and, and not get a chance to do it, you have a training coming up this Thursday. We do. you do. want to tell us a little about that? I, I is this my little commercial time? It is. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um those of you who are members of affiliates and or uh committees, ACB committees, you may or may not know that your affiliate and your committee has an actual web page um, off the ACB web page. And so Thursday night, we're going to talk about how we as committee chairs and committee members and affiliate leaders can use these web pages to link to our page if, if our affiliate already has a website we can kind of put our information in two different places and probably reach two different audiences um, we're also going to find out how to find those pages it's a little bit challenging but um, kelly gask from the acb national office will be one of our presenters uh, connie sims from well i guess you'd say media past president south dakota um, and South Dakota really is is one affiliate, one state affiliate who uses their ACB given uh, web page, um, and so she's going to tell us what types of information she puts on there, the process that she goes through to get it on there, and um, and Kelly will tell us how she helps with these websites, which she, she's a pretty integral part of how how these websites mm -hmm. work. Excellent. Very good. So the other component, um, the other component that was involved in putting together this whole mentoring program was the membership committee. And that membership committee has gone on for several years under the able leadership of Artis Basin. And one of the folks who's on that committee, and, and I guess is now liaison to this group, is uh, Miss Donna Browning. So, Miss Donna, tell us why members care about mentoring. Members care about mentoring because they want to be able to um, do new things for their affiliates, for their chapters, for themselves. They want to advance in ACB. They want to learn new things. They just want to grow. Mm -hmm. And so mentoring is the best way to do those things. Very good. So, Mr. Kenneth, tell us a little bit more uh, about the, the, the way that you put the program together and the decisions that you made of how the first year was going to work. Okay. Uh, this part that I'll get to right now is, was pretty enlightening for all of us. We actually reached out to leaders who started programs, mentoring programs, and did it for years. And uh, and so we met with Lee Nas Nasahi from Vision Serve Alliance. That was an excellent interview. Uh, we met with Stephen Allen from Policy Policyworks. Uh, we met 
from uh, with uh, oh, let me tell you this right quick. Dan Spoon started off with us, and in our first at least five to six meetings, uh, Dan really played a part in helping us to to start building our timeline. And, you know that that really helped us to know what we needed to do and when we would do it. And also, we placed it on our timeline that we would have these interviews with certain people that had the knowledge that we wanted to gain and also try to use some of the things that they were doing. Now, there's another program with AFV. They have the Blind Leaders Development Program. So we met with uh, Neva Fairchild from there and Sylvia Stinson Perez. And uh, they really gave us some good insights and also shared some resources with us that we will be sharing, you know, with our uh, guides and explorers coming up. Uh, so far, we started uh, a resource library where we're putting things in there. We started sharing through a welcome message that went out to our new email list. But it was a great uh, time with those folks. Uh, we even had consultation with Eric Bridges and Tony Stevens in the beginning because there were several factors that played a part in uh, some things that they could make happen. Funding for uh, one thing we want to do um, throughout this nine-month program, which began on September 15th of 2022 and will conclude on June 15th of 2023. Uh, we wanted to be able to, in the future, we hope that it could have happened this next year in 2023, to have the guys at Explorers to meet up at DC leadership meetings and, uh, and have uh, some exercises there that they can do in person instead of just by uh, Zoom. But we don't know how that's going to turn out right now. But that's where funding came in. And that's something we're going to have to still continue to work on. Uh, but we hope that we can meet some of them uh, in March where we do decide to, if they do decide and others do decide to travel to Washington, D.C. for the things that will have to be happening then. So we've gotten a lot of things in line because of those conversations that gave us some direction and uh, and also just talking to people within when our in our membership, we even had um, community calls where we asked for feedback, input from members about what they thought the program should look like, and we received some good feedback from those. Some people attended out of four meetings; they may have attended two or three of them. So uh, I think we gained some good feedback, and we have a lot of those notes, things that we may not have implemented for this pilot program year. We may do it in the next uh, year. So. Uh, I think that that was the next step there. Um, and now I want to just try to see if any, if any of the ladies want to chime in on anything about that, their experience possibly. I want to ask somebody why you guys decided to start with a pilot program and why not just jump right in and have an ongoing program? Oh, just, uh, well, <clears throat> I think we started with a pilot program because we all acknowledged that, you know, we had some goals and ambition, but uh, we're sort of new at this. And um, we wanted to have the experience of learning sort of, um, you know, what works and what didn't work um, so that we can really build a solid foundation for the mentoring program. So, yeah, we wanted a, a year to sort of try things out and see mm -hmm. what, 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 you know, what's effective and what's not. Yeah. One of the coolest things that, that your group did uh, was a presentation that all four of you did at the National Convention. And I mention it because um, all, of those, um, all of those podcasts are up there. And so if you guys want a much more in-depth picture 
of the shape that the program is beginning to take this year, um, go ahead and listen to that because it was, in my opinion, a, a really well done presentation. And I admire all four of you in the way that you guys presented there. So good job. I like Thank the you. way we've been working as a team so everybody had a chance to do their part of the box yep. time that we've been coming yep. together. So yeah. the, the pilot program at the time of the convention, uh, you guys indicated then that you were going to put out this request for um, a group of guides and uh, then for a group of explorers. And then you as a team were going to sit down and look at all of the applicants that you received um, and choose a certain number of folks um, who, would, who you'd actually be working with this year. Um, so then, um, you got that program underway and maybe someone, um, can talk a little bit, uh, about the programs that you, um, that you utilized to get the poll, the whole exercise started for this year. And maybe a little about the selection process, if you want to talk about that. I can start and Good. somebody can finish <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> um, so we did, um, we, we used a little bit of our tech knowledge, uh, some of us. <laughs> um, we did create a, a pretty simple Google form that each applicant filled out. Uh, um, mm -hmm. There was one for guides and then a, set, a different one for explorers. Some questions were the same, but, but there were some that were different. And one thing with whoever was applying to be a guide uh, we also had a part on there where they had to uh, list a reference person. And so then we contacted that reference, uh, the, the person they listed as a reference, and they had their, that person had to complete a, a form as well. Um, and so after we gathered all those and, and, well, I I think we were all pleased, with, especially the first time around with the number of applicants we had. We chose to select 12, and that sort of came about um, kind of like, it, it, this is not really how it happened, but um, kind of the, the um, uh, Multicultural Affairs Committee was going to select four, Burl Colley was going to select four, and DKM was going to select four. So, that, of course, that equals 12. Mm -hmm. Um, th that's not quite exactly how it happened, but it was sort of, um, each of the three of us, um, selected six people and then we worked together as, as a team and, and listed, uh, you know, named our six people, six guides and then six explorers. And obviously there was some overlap. Um, actually there was a good bit of overlap to be honest with you, um, and so then we discussed, you know, why we selected this person and, 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 uh, that whole process took quite a, a long time. We had a mm -hmm. quite a lengthy meeting <laughs> to, and then not only then did we select 12 of each, but then to match them up, then, you know, was that another part of the process. Yeah. So, that got interesting. Well, there was a lot of, um, discussion as as to why we mm -hmm. felt this person would work well with this person and how we, we really looked at the skills that people mm -hmm. listed on their forms that that was a lot of what we looked at and mm -hmm. then for the explorers their goals 
mm-hmm. also played a, a huge part into this election. And the rest of them might chime in with more, but that was good. Yeah, other, that was, that was other, great. other other <laughs> folks want to talk a little bit about the, the selection process. Otherwise, yeah. we'll go. Go ahead, Ken. This is Kenneth. I just would like to say that uh, we met even after we decided uh, who we were going to select. We still waited a week and came back on another uh, Friday and Mm -hmm. decided, let's review these and let's look at what we actually chose, uh, who we chose. Then all of a sudden it turned out just like we hoped all of our mentors that were selected. We knew a lot about them. Uh, one or, or another knew about them, so we in, we located some information uh, as I put some uh, statistics together from all that was submitted, and we found out that all of those we selected had been a member of ACV for at least 10 years, and we thought, wow, that's good. We wanted to make sure that the guide uh, would be prepared to serve well with the uh, Explorer, and I think we have some good folks that would select it, and uh, we're looking to hear get some more feedback. Uh, we've got some, but we're looking to get some more feedback from our guides uh, as they continue to submit uh, monthly reports. And that's another Google form that was created uh, by Cheryl so that we can get reports from our guides to tell us how things are going. And uh, we always have, we told everybody we would, uh, you know, have a, gu- a guide orientation workshop and then one for the Explorer. So that's the next step, uh, Paula, we should talk about how that went paul did you, you should want to say anything? okay can, can yeah. i before before we go on i, I just want to say i think so far one of my favorite parts of this whole thing was when we had the guides connect their explorers uh, we kind of introduced the <laughs> guides to their explorers uh, and we did them you know one pair at a time mm-hmm. they they sort of came at, at an appointed time and I, I just i i still am excited to the, the responses and and the conversations and uh, that that people had with each other when they met each other and uh, anyway i don't know if anybody else wants to add to that but that just was really exciting to me yeah i, I agree it was still so much fun that night and it seems like everybody connected right on that first call when they were being introduced to one another several people text me or wrote email say who is who is my guide or who is my explorer i said well <laughs> join in for your meeting that's what we're going to introduce you formally you know so it turned out pretty good that night uh, i think we were all excited about it uh, yeah. we did it more than one night really but i uh, thought it went well i agree yeah. that that night was a lot of fun you could feel the you could feel the energy in the air each call you could feel the excitement and the anticipation um it was so much fun and it just it, it made all the hard work and uh, uh-huh. time we spent uh carefully trying to figure out who would work well together it made all that work worthwhile and it it, it just it's, it's it's it was just amazing to watch it and I, I announced in my Tuesday Topics thing that there are actually two of us um, who are involved with Tuesday Topics who are, in fact, guides in this process. So uh, I don't know, Marianne, do, do you remember that evening and do you remember how it, oh, you weren't there. I, I was there for the, no, I did meet Mo, the, uh, my, my, I met my um, explorer the first night. I wasn't there for the training. Ah, gotcha. Away. So I, did, yep. I was there for the introduction. That was a lot of yep. fun. And 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 was was it pretty cool for you? I know it was great for me. 
Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was. It was um, very interesting, and and um, it was. It was. Um, yeah, it was exciting. Yeah, I mean the cool the cool thing for me and 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 my guide was this this guide, my my um, my explorer was was somebody who I had admired for what she had done for ACB twenty or twenty five years ago, and luckily I was right about who she was. Um, <laughs> Though I, I had not gotten to know her, but but she she was just very impressive. She she jumped in and helped ACB do something that most of us old people had no notion of how to do. She was responsible really for for doing a lot in terms of putting together ACB's Twitter account and mm-hmm. and also worked some with our Facebook account. And and I had heard about this lady, but really had not had an opportunity to get to know her well. I I run across her in, in some other respects, but um, I was just overjoyed. And it, it, I mean, really almost, almost um, uh, stuff going up and down my spine. I was so happy because I, I mean, she's, she's going to give me as, as much as I'm going to give her. That's what I was just <laughs> going to say. I think what was really interesting about it is realizing that there's a lot to be learned um, from our explorers as well. Yeah. It's, yep. it's, I it's think it's so. definitely a give and take. Mm-hmm. And and that's you know we, we're we're hoping that that's that is part of the, a mentoring program. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yes. One yep. other thing, Paul, about mentoring. Uh, several of us have actually been a part of other mentoring programs, and you know, and sometimes you don't remember all the things that you've done in the past. All of a sudden, it starts coming out as conversation takes place, and you realize, wow, I've done this, that, and the other. Some have been uh, a mentee. I said we've been mm-hmm. mentees and mentors. So. Uh-huh. Uh, great experience that you can bring back once you realize uh, how your personal experience was and share that with other people. Yeah, I, I ran a mentoring program at the college where I worked um, several years ago. Um, and, and that was one thing. Um, I tried <laughs> to, um, to implement a mentoring program through the Rail Revival League when I was president. And so I had this, this call where, where we spent the first most of the call doing something electronic. And then I said, okay, so let's talk a little bit about mentoring. And suddenly like um, five, six of the group hung up. (laughs) 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 They they just did not wish to do it. Thank you very much indeed. So I, I talked about some resources and made the few people who were still left listen. And then I said, well, this does not look like an idea whose time has come. <laughs> so um, let's talk about, let's talk about uh, a little bit about the training session. Who'd like to do that? Sure. Did you want to start? Um, sure. So, um, uh, so the training session, the way we des- designed it is we sort of, uh, again, did a little research, and from those conversations we had with folks who had run mentoring program, um, came up with some um, like scenarios because we thought that might be a really good way of getting people to talk about different experiences and how you can respond, and and that there would be benefit in having the group engage in that particular exercise because. Um, you know, you'd learn from each other. Um, so so that that was part of it. And also, you know, we talked 
about like what are our expectations of the mentors and of the mentees and um you know how how do you sort of structure your the relationship so mm-hmm. as you will recall we talked about like issues around respectability and confidentiality um and of course then we had eric um, bridges and dan spoon also present to to talk about their sort of perception um of the role of mentoring within ACB and like why it's necessary. So, mm-hmm. I like the welcome that took place, uh, welcome and uh, introductions, especially Donna Browning. Did you want to tell what you did at that time for the <coughs> introductions? Sure. During the introduction, um, first I welcomed them, and then we had um, people go around and introduce themselves. And that was exciting because as people got to hear who was in the room and um, it, 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 everybody just got really excited. And it was fun to go around and we would, uh, for one of them we did, uh, you know, what's your birthday? And when we got done, everybody knew whose birthday it was and, <laughs> and, and all that. It, it was really cool. And everybody said they really enjoyed doing that because it really helped um, people get to know each other a little bit. And it gave them a chance to open up a little and kind of like a nice little icebreaker. One of the interesting things that Kenneth did after that is to send out a list of all the folks who were involved. Um, with all their birthdays, and and that included Dan Spoon and some and and the team as well. I'm happy to say, um, but the but it it wasn't only that. But I was also impressed, and and maybe Kenneth, you could talk a little bit about this. Um, I don't know if you have them to hand, but I, I think just about the principle of some of the statistics that you put together. Um, concerning the, the 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 statistics surrounding those folks who were involved in the process this year. Yeah, don't have that handy, but I should. I, I really did publicize that on our various ACB lists, and there it was just very good to look at that. And as we move forward, we will add to that, and we'll be able to compare that in our second year what we had for our first year. But it was very interesting. We looked at uh, the states that were represented uh, for those who applied. Uh, and some of our state affiliates didn't have any uh, mm-hmm. applicants. And some did. And so it was good to look at that, look at uh, how long people had been members. Some had been members for less than three years, some three to five years. Then uh, yep. some had, uh, they had been members over 10 years. So, uh, but by looking at all they submitted, uh, that's how we came up. Well, I pulled all that out of that from what they submitted. And there's so much more about that. That was a good, I said, it painted a good picture for us to see what the program was really built upon, you know. So one of the questions that you always ask about programs is, okay, it's, it's fine to put together a program. It's okay. You can, you can you can get a bunch of people together. You can do really cool introductions, but how do you evaluate how a program's successful? And 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 I don't know who wants to start with that, but I know you guys have some pretty ambitious plans in terms of how to do that. Well, I mean, I think that's where the monthly reports will actually be helpful, right? Um, because in 
if if when when you look at those, they ask you to because um, one of the things we've asked the guides and explorers to do is to identify like a specific goal. So you know the, the whole what's the smart smart goal, right? Mm-hmm. Specific, measurable. Uh, I think is it uh, attainable? Yeah. Um, what's realistic. the other one? Oh, realistic and and timely, right? Or so so sort of using that um, and the and the monthly report. Um, you know, we'll get a sense of like what people have identified as a goal. And we hope that the monthly reports and the check-in sessions that we have scheduled, um, that those will give us an opportunity to see how people are progressing. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's, I mean, that's sort of, you know, and then, and then the other idea, I suppose the other aspiration we have for the program is that, you know, people who join saying like, oh, I wasn't sure what I could do, that by the end of the uh, the program, they'll have a better idea of not just how like things work like locally or in their state affiliate, but how it works nationally. And they might uh, hopefully have a better sense of where they can contribute their sort of skills, knowledge and interests to ACB. And we're monitoring our progress as we meet every time we have discussions. And if we've had like a a meeting with anyone, we have a call after that. uh, So we talk about what has gone on, but we're documenting dates that we did certain things. We'll be able to look back at so much that we've documented uh, and it helps us to see. You can even start looking at uh, about what what we have in writing now. I started looking at what the next year would even look like the next, uh, not poly, but the next year with the program would begin. Uh, mm-hmm. after next next year's convention uh so it's it's really going along well as you document uh, uh make notes of the things that you uh learn from discussions and and all of those different things and and you know the feedback will continue um and there's going to come a time where we want our guides and explorers this is like an introductory meeting to what we've done and we hope we can come back another time we'll have some of them give providing testimonials and those will always be recorded and noted so we can mm-hmm. have that to reflect on and also give us some direction. Well, at the end, there will be an evaluation for the guys and explorers to complete so they can tell us what their thoughts were and what we might be able to do better the next time. We have made some of our own notes. We, we really have, uh, as Donna uh, said earlier, Donna Brown, that uh, we started out talking about we were going to have uh, three committees because the membership committee came in, uh, got a little involved a little bit later. That we were going to choose four uh, applicants to encourage to apply, mm-hmm. and um, and so that didn't happen the way we initially planned it. And there's so many things that didn't happen as we initially planned it because while we were doing it, that's when we found out. Oh, we didn't think about this part, so we needed to mm-hmm. add something then. And so you're learning as you go, and it's just a good thing I've constantly uh, spoke about is making notes, jotting those things down, so we can see how it changed and be able to look back at what we have documented mm-hmm. so i guess my question for all of you is overall that is you know not not only this year but kind of in the long run um what do you see the impact of the mentoring program as as likely to be 
I'm hoping that, uh, was that Donna? Donna? This is Cheryl. Cheryl, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I mean, I hope that it really, like, excites people to pursue whatever role they want to play in ACB. Um, I hope people who, you know, say, oh, I don't have anything, I don't have any skills, I don't know how to do this, and I don't know how to do that, that, okay, that's fine. But apply to be a mentee if that's where mm-hmm. you are. You know, because one of the things that we did here is I know there, there are opportunities where you need, I mean, this is a program where you select yourself, right? There isn't anybody who is necessarily going to come and tap you on the shoulder and say, oh, you should do this. But at the same time, there isn't anybody who will stand in your way and say, you can't do this. So I hope that people really understand that this is a self-selecting program and that you can decide, like, I want to do X or I want to improve X and I'm going to join this program because that's something I want to do. One of the things that, um, one of the things that I know because of my lengthy involvement in, in ACB is we have tried um, all sorts, sorts of approaches and continue to try all sorts of approaches uh, to try to encourage more leaders. We, we give all our scholarships winners, uh, or I, th- I think we're still doing it, membership <clears throat> in ACB students. Um, we, um, we encourage uh, our DKM folks and, and our, and our uh, fellows um, to to be to to take part in in leadership conference calls for years, we um, we have uh, reached out and tried to encourage uh, folks at the state level or at the affiliate level um, to to become members of boards and to become members of committees so that they can build their leadership skills. And some of our state affiliates, Washington is a state that comes to mind immediately has done leadership training since God was little. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But that that explains why they they have a lot of people involved at the national level. Oh, it does. Look at at committees and, and, you know, uh, past board members and all kinds of, you know. Yeah. But the the point that I'm making with all of that is – none of them seem to me anyway, I don't know if you guys disagree, none of them seem to me to, to over the long haul be a formula for success. I mean, they, 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 certainly, they certainly got us a few members, they certainly had, had some limited success, but I would say overall, they, they didn't represent a, an ongoing sustainable approach that, that looked like it, it, it was going to tangibly produce individuals who were meeting their goals and moving on in ACB. Would you guys agree with that? And, and yeah, from the DCAM committee, definitely. We, we constantly try to engage them after they've won their award. And there are right. some people that apply to get their way paid to go to convention, but yeah. there are some that have stepped up to lead and, and we're, you know, they're being watched and, and are still being encouraged as well. But yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, and we do hope that people, when they apply again for, for uh, this next year, we have applications coming up in January, that they would really 
take it seriously. We are really trying to help produce leaders to help sustain ACB moving forward. And we really don't want anybody to to be a part of the program if all they want is a free trip to convention. And after that, we can't talk to them or they don't respond to us. So well, we really need someone to, to get involved. And we do have several, though, that have actually stepped up and uh, even begin to serve on the board now. You know? Yes. So yeah, I, well, this is true. Um, Cheryl, and then and then one of the Donnas, Cheryl. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> so I, I was going to say, I mean, because maybe the concept of success should be not that there's one pipeline, right? Because mm-hmm. there isn't just one type of leadership that you're looking for. So maybe it's okay that, you know, some people come from the fellows program, some people come from the DKM. And hopefully some people will come from our mentoring program because in, in a way they, uh, they all attract different people. Right. And, and yep. so maybe that's, that's what maybe instead of thinking of it as a failure, I mean, maybe what you think about is like, Oh, we've got several pipelines that we can look to, to try to get people into leadership. And then the question becomes like, how do we, improve these different pipelines rather than thinking it's got to be just one. Does that? I like that, Cheryl. And I also, that yeah. makes me think about that some people are serving in their chapters and they may not be serving on the, on the state level, but some are serving in their chapters in their mm-hmm. special interest They may not be in a leadership role just out front in ACB itself directly, but they are serving. So it's a good thing to kind of follow them and know what they are involved with. And so there's some that just say, I'd rather stay right here at the, the local level because we need uh, somebody at, in our chapter to do this and that. Mm-hmm. So we sure do. That's yep. success as well. Mm-hmm. I, one thing I was going to say. Um, yes, ma'am. I, I guess, and I don't know that the word difference, I'm not sure what word I'm looking for, but so like one thing that's a little different with the mentoring program, it's, it's a, well, nine month basically commitment. Um, and so, I mean, we have no idea, you know, obviously where, what's, where the future is or, or we have no idea, you know, and just because we don't get a, a maybe a, somebody who steps up to be a, a leader of some sort out of this group this year, that doesn't mean it won't happen three years from now from this group. You know, we, we don't know that. But I think sometimes the sort of almost year-long commitment, um, you know, I, I think really says something about somebody's involvement in a program. Uh, so whether, mm-hmm. again, whether they step up next year or three years from now that you know maybe the time isn't right like if somebody's you know say just out of college and they're just starting their career well it is a little hard to you know really step up and and you know you're you're dealing with a lot of other things and uh, so but i think sometimes sometimes a, a longer commitment to a program uh you know helps to uh helps to for people to know where they are and maybe where they want to be or where they want to go. And, and I yeah. think working one-on-one is probably helpful as well, as long yes. as, as long mm-hmm. as your two ones are good, because there may be some <laughs> folks who feel uncomfortable in, in large settings yep. who would actually be comfortable working with one person. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I, I, um, for me, the one, 
the one thing I am hoping for, for the program, I'm hoping that it will empower people now and in the future to um, consider their um, talents and to come and, and for some people trying to develop those talents, it's a scary thing. They're scared to ask their friends for help. Maybe if they come and ask somebody who's not necessarily in their main circle to help them and, and do it on a one-on-one -on -one situation. There's so many ways we can try to build leaders. And you don't have to be a president to be a leader. You don't have to be <clears throat> the head of a committee. Just in your affiliate or your chapter, it, you don't have, if you're, how can I do this? You can. And if this program, maybe it can encourage somebody to reach out, reach within themselves a little bit. I'm just hoping that it empowers the people who are maybe just a little afraid to reach out, that it will give that encouragement to them to reach just a little further and let themselves know they can do this and that there is help out there to do it. They do not have to be afraid or um, concerned to ask for that help. It's there and you can do this and we're here for you. We have another thing that we were hoping uh, to achieve uh, through this program and it can be done by our guides uh, we've chosen uh, because they have a lot of knowledge about ACB. We want our newer members to learn more about ACB. And through this program, we have some of them that will learn some things that they didn't know uh, before communicating with their guide about ACB and why it's important to even consider uh, what, what, how the national level differs from the state or special interest affiliate or a chapter and how we all come together as one overall though. Um, but so we want our guys to really Import some knowledge about uh, things that they, they've gone through and what they've learned through the years and also making sure that they share or encourage the, uh, the mentee or explore to learn ACB's mission uh, and purpose and core values on the website. All of these things are there at acb.org and uh, we've encouraged them to go out there. But I pulled a lot of these things and put it into a document uh, I'm just going to send out. Uh, to our explorers, I'll send to guys to the, for their direct, they can share with someone else or whatever, have it as a backup. But there's some good things out there that tells about ACB and a lot of our members maybe uh, haven't gone to the website and just taken time to explore what's all there. You know, we have some good things there, knowledgeable things that well, can help them to become more educated about ACB, but our guides are empowered to help them to, to learn more. And then they, they'll have a better chance when this program uh, concludes in June uh, next year uh, to think about, okay, where do I fit? What's my, where's my niche? You know, and that's what we want to encourage them to fit where you feel best, not just by what somebody else is telling you, you know, but at times people can, your, your mentor can identify for your qualities that you may not have really accepted that you have, you know, and sometimes we've had to be uh, encouraged in, in, from one time or another in our lives where we did, we knew we may have been able to do this, but not as well as somebody else. So you, you need some encouragement. And sometimes you put someone in the right place, though, so they'll start blossoming. So you guys have convinced me, um, and, and, and it's not always easy to do, 
um, that I was wrong um, to suggest that this is this is somehow a better program than the others. I I like Cheryl's comment about about different strokes for different folks, if you like. That is different different pipelines that may work for different people. Um, from my perspective, what what is exciting about this program um, is is the opportunity that it gives um, for for folks to to work privately towards stuff that will end up being public, but to be able to to come out, if you like, at their own pace in a more comfortable way. And and thinking about all the stuff that we used to do to try to encourage leadership, I think we expected people to come out much more publicly and much more openly than this program necessarily requires them to do. Well, I, I, it's interesting you say that because I, I feel like the you know when they used to have the Burl Collie Leadership Institute right. at conventions and like one time it was like an all day thing and right. another time I think it was a half day and and yep. they were wonderful. I mean there was good presentations, um, but. Sometimes, sometimes um, you know, they wanted people to interact, and and I, people, some people didn't feel comfortable doing that in in right. a, a big group, and also, um, I don't know about some people, but I'm not a quick thinker, and so they would ask a question, and kind of, you know, we're hoping for a response. Because mm-hmm. they kind of had to, you know, because they were on a time <laughs> schedule. But I yep. think in a situation like this, uh, you know, it, it's the the time is yours, really, or the explorers, you know, basically. And and so I, I don't think there's that pressure to think I, I've got to if if I can't answer this question, they'll think I'm not worthy of leadership. You know, I don't have these skills, and you know, so I, I think it's a, a little bit more relaxed situation, and but. I do like Cheryl's idea, different strokes for different folks. Yep, know? yep. So <clears throat> somebody mentioned, uh, and I think it, I think it might have been um, Kenneth. Some, uh, Kenneth, you talked about check-in sessions. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about what those are likely to be. Very good. We have a checkpoint coming up on December 7th, and where all the guides and explorers will come together. Uh, and we have recently put an agenda together for that, uh, just to, for some of the things we'll get them to, to share a little bit from the beginning, but we'll also have, uh, we're going to actually have roll call that night. Um, and then we'll, we're going to try to get a guest to come and speak, have provided an empowerment speech, you know, and it'll be probably be one of those people from my advisory council. By the way, these names that I mentioned earlier, uh, that we, uh, Gained con- consultation yep. from, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, mentorship. They have agreed to us. Uh, most of them, except Lee Nasi, he has to, uh, agreed to serve on our advisory council, and uh, so that's where we're going to pull from. I do believe, and I, I was really thinking about Sylvia uh, Stinson Perez yeah, from that's, AFB. That's mm-hmm. in my mind, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That would be able to present during that evening, and that's on December 7th, we'll all come together and it's going to be some things that we'll bring up that we won't mention here, but I think it's going to be an enlightening evening, but we'll get some feedback from both sides. Uh, we talked about having breakout sessions where the guys will be in one room and the explorers will be in another, then they'll, we'll all come together. And so I think it's going to be a good thing for, for the first time. 
And we'll have another one of those before the program went in next June. We hadn't set a date yet, but we will do that uh, in the next quarter, I would say. Mm-hmm. I think th- I think that sounds like a, a, a good session on the 7th of December. Mm-hmm. Um, I I will be I will be looking forward to it. I expect to be there, yeah. and uh, we'll see how it all works. Um, I'm actually lucky because I'm going to get to meet my um, my guide, uh, my explorer in person, because uh, I'm going up to Louisville to to help with their convention. So wow, very good. Very good. Yes. Uh-huh. Oh. I'm I'm excited about that. That's good. And we have talked about spending some time together up there. So I am going to be setting time aside to do that because I think it's really important and I want to do it. So, yeah, making those connections are good. Uh, yeah. And, I, yeah, and you can be personable with them and, and uh, it'll, it just be, could add so much to what you all will work to achieve, yeah. help that person achieve. Well, and, and it's, not, it, it's not my explorer's fault, but I have not. We've we've exchanged several emails, but I haven't done as good a job as I should have as a guide during the first month because I've been traveling a lot. Um, okay, Donna has two paddles for you. Yeah, <laughs> you have that. You tell us where you want them in your hand, or uh, I, I think I think I think I deserve them. <laughs> All right, we are approaching the end of the evening, so. Um, Mr. Ken, do you have a, a couple of quick things that you want to start with and then we'll go around the group? Yeah, one thing we want our guys and explorers to look forward to, we will be having an afternoon tea during the convention uh, to present uh, certificates of achievement and certificate of appreciation. And uh, we'll get to mingle with one another and have refreshments. And uh, we'll have a, a program for that event as well. We want everybody to meet up there. Nice, possibly, nice. Uh, Meet up in Schaumburg. And don't forget my scones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those, those might be too expensive, Mr. Paul. The strawberry <laughs> or peanut butter. <laughs> maybe maybe, maybe he's still cookie. eating them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it might be right. cookie, yeah, one. There you go. All right. Um, so, Miss uh, Miss Donna Brown, any final thoughts? So, um, yeah, uh, I'm just again want to thank uh our guides and explorers for uh all the time that they're putting into uh helping us to make this program work but um if if you could you know try to fill out those monthly reports that that will really help us not only will it help us give us information but it will help us uh send in all your hours that you're volunteering because that also brings uh yeah, that goes into ACB's uh, volunteer, and it leads toward money and grants and that kind of thing. So that's my that's my development have, member uh, uh, pitch. <laughs> Very good, thank you, Ms. Browning. Uh, I just want to say um, uh, this is an exciting time. Um, our um, our program is making history. Uh, our Guides and explorers, they are a history-making opportunity for them. It's it's going to be exciting for them. Um, I'm looking forward to the check-in. I'm looking forward to seeing 
what happens at the end of the year. And I'm just so excited that they get this opportunity to um, participate in such an exciting program. And Miss Cheryl. Well, I mean, like, there's not much more to add. I, I echo everything that all of my um, teammates um, just said. I know if that's the right word. Um, it is. But, <laughs> but, and, but I suppose one thing I want to say is not only thank you to the guides and explorers, but thank you to Donna, Donna, and Kenneth, because um, without them, this would not have happened. It would still have been sort of a idea being discussed and wrestled over. Um, but I can't tell you um, how fantastic it has been and is to be part of a working team with Kenneth, Donna, and Donna. I mean, I, I, it's one of my few meetings that I'm like, woohoo, it's coming up. <laughs> I look forward to going and, and working together. So I, I feel really blessed to have had this opportunity. So I apologize to our listeners in that we haven't had an awful lot of time um, to get to questions this evening. Um, Marianne, did we have a lot of fans up or, yeah, or no not? Hands. Nope. Very good. Um, but I do promise for everybody who is tuning in that sometime further along in the process, we're going to invite these good people to come back and tell us a little bit, a little bit more about how things are going and how the, the program is processing as, as time goes on. And we also will hopefully at that, at that time be able to talk to some of the guides and explorers together so that everyone on Tuesday Topics will get an opportunity to get a feeling for the way the actual participants are, are seeing the program going. So I'm looking forward to that, and, and, and I hope we can persuade a few guides and explorers to uh, to come on and, and be open about some of the stuff that they're working on. Good, bad, and ugly. I mean, I, 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 I am very comfortable sharing with the fact that I have not done as good a job as I should have as a guy. And um, I'm going to have to do better or people be, will be quite right to throw me off the team. <laughs> <laughs> but you four, thank you so much for being a part of Tuesday Topics this evening. I truly have appreciated um, getting an opportunity for our folks to get to know one of the more exciting programs that I think ACB is engaged in right now. We have to find a way um, to encourage new leaders because some of us, um, and, and I'm pointing at my chest at the moment, are, are getting to the point where we're not going to be around very much longer. And if you want to leave ACB in good hands, one of the things that we need to do is we need to find a way to empower more leaders. It's not good enough to just get people involved. We, we, we have to go further than that. We have to imbue them with the sense of what ACB is and, and how they fit in to making ACB the kind of organization we know it's always been and has the potential to be as well. Next week on Tuesday Topics, we have an exciting program. The second annual uh, audio description gala is coming up late in November. And to give everybody lots of time to get ready for it, 
we have invited two members of the audio description project committee to join us and in fact the two co-chairs will be the the two people who will be with us kim charleston and carl richardson so i hope that a lot of you will join us next week to understand a bunch of things audio description but in particular to learn how our new gala is going to be bigger and better than the gala that we had last year and some of the new things that we've incorporated into the gala this year. One of the things I'm excited about is to figure out who's going to win the People's Choice Award in terms of <laughs> audio described program, because I don't know the answer to that. I don't think they're going to tell me next week either. I don't think so. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for being with us, and good night.